I'm going to get into the message. We're going into week four, basically on a whole series of ba- as you've gone as we've gone through Galatians. That's been talking about freedom. That's been talking about freedom from you know the different things that life throws on us, the different things that other Christians throw on us, the different things churches throw on us, the different things religion throws on us. And and Paul is talking to the Galatians, and at, you know at one point he's talking about I I wish I could be there so I didn't have to be so short and hard and about this and get right to the point. But I'm not there with you, so I, I got to get right to the point. And you guys got to understand, you're you're running your race in vain. If you're not running with the freedom of Jesus and the freedom that Christ gave, and what we just sang this morning was awesome and fits so well into the message this morning, that if we don't run with that freedom, we're running with a, basically a big parachute on our backs st- slowing us down. Now, that may work for sprints to build those quick twitch muscles and everything and, and build endurance, in, but for the long haul of the marathon of following Jesus, you can't be held back by, by things that were never meant to hold you back. And so these words that Paul wrote over 2,000 years ago are still powerful for today. Read the Bible in the context of today's world. It's called the living word because it changes. As you change, as you grow, it becomes more. I mean, again, I've read through the Bible a few times, but every time I read through it, I find something new. I'm like, seriously, they add like new verses and chapters as I go through. I'm like, I never read that before. Where did that come from? And if you've never done that, you will. As you grow, it grows with you, and it will take you deeper. See, following Jesus is not just about knowing Jesus. And we're going to read that today in Galatians 4, where it's, it's we don't just know God, but now you're known by God. And that's what we want to get to. We want to be known by God. We don't just want a lot of facts about God. We don't just want to know a lot about him. We don't want to be able to pass and check off all the little Christianese sayings, and we don't want to be able to do all that stuff. See, Blaise Pascal made a statement. He said, human beings must be known to be loved, but divine beings must be loved to be known. See, when we think about that, what he's saying is, we have to know someone and we have to spend time with someone before we can love them. But see, the faith that God gave us gives us the conviction to love him before we actually truly know him. And as Sean was saying this morning, as we keep growing, we, we get to know God more. We're known by God a little bit more as we keep moving forward. We can't, there aren't words that can explain the love he has for us. We try to explain them, and we try to make them up, and we try to put them into song. You know, we try to do all this stuff, but words cannot really explain all that God is. It just can't, because there are no words that can explain somebody who's unexplainable. And as we jump into Galatians 4 this morning, we're going to start in verse 1. And it says now, and I'm going to read out of the NASB version. Now, as I, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to those weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Paul says, I fear for you that perhaps you have, I have labored in vain over you. See, when we start reading this and we start getting into it, we start understanding who we truly are, who we are free to be when we come to know Jesus. We're free to be sons and daughters. Again, when we start through the beginning of this, and, and in a, another version, in NLT, it says it this way. It says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than the slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set, and that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. How many of you guys know professional students? People who their whole life are just going to college. Now, how many of you parents want your kids going through college, getting a degree, and then coming home and playing their Xbox? All day, 24 hours a day. How many of you guys with kids want your seven-year-old to continue to act like your one-year-old? We want them to grow up and mature, right? That's what Paul's warning us against here. He's saying before Christ came, you guys were immature children. But now that Christ has come, you got to grow up. Stop making a mess. Pick your stuff up. Paul is, is getting to the point of saying, it's old watching you guys act like infants. Grow up, do something. Don't just sit around and believe lies, as Sean was talking about this morning. Mostly, again, like you said, and I can't I agree 110%, the lies you tell yourself that you're not good enough. When God says, you are, we start listening to what God said and what Paul's teaching. I mean, I think, honestly, all of us adults, if we're honest this morning, you at one point in your life have longed to be a child again, where you have no bills, no mortgage, don't have to go to work, you don't need a job, all your bills are taken care of by your parents. Y'all can agree with that, right? As I was reading this and thinking about that, I'm like, I would still, if I could move back into my mom's house and not, I would do it in a heartbeat. Now, the problem with that is talk to kids and they have all these rules that they can't do anything. Think of all the blessings we have as adults of things we can do. And so it's a catch-22. We kept getting ourselves caught up in these things. See, the Galatians were longing for carefree days of not having to follow any rules. But see, here's the thing. When you come to Jesus, he says, follow me. It's not I get to do whatever I want. And there's no do's and don'ts to following Jesus. And that's what was happening here. Again, these Judaizers were trying to com convince these guys that they had to follow rules to be better Christians. And Paul is saying, no, grow up. There are no set of rules. Your job is to watch your own bobber and follow Jesus. You know, with everything going on in the world right now, it's really funny. Um, because, again, I was talking to my daughter this week about it. And, you know, things are just insane all over the place. And 
They're like, well, what are you going to do if this happens and this happens and this happens? Well, and Shelly goes, I already know what my dad's going to say. God's got this. Because that's how I look at it. What if it happens? Well, I can't deal with it till it does. So I'm going I'm to focus on when it does, but right now, my job is to follow Jesus. Think about the disciples when they were sitting there at the ascension. And the two angels come down from heaven and they look down on them as Jesus ascends and they no longer see him. And they stand and they're looking at him and they're just like, like most Christians during worship, actually. We're spectators. Jesus just went to heaven. And these guys looked down, these angels looked down. And again, it's Elijah and Moses if you want to study the theology of it, but we're not going to get into that. And why are you guys sitting here? Go get to work. That's what he told them. Go back, wait for the gift of the promise, get to work. Stop trying to be a Christian and just be one. Start being free to be who God's called you to be. Because it says in verse 4 and 5, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we could adopt, he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, in Roman culture at that time, if you had an adopted son or daughter, they were full members of the family. They were not adopted. They were not looked at as, as adopted. If it was an oldest son, guess what? They became the heir. They had full rights of a child. See, for you guys, that should be an amen excitement. Because when God adopted you, you became full heirs of the kingdom of God with unlimited resources to change your world. Paul tells us who came in this statement. It was Jesus. He tells us how he came, born of a virgin. And he tells us why he came to make us sons and daughters. We have to truly start believing that we are sons and daughters and start living with that authority and start living with that power and start living with that freedom that when God says, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, you shall be saved, that you are saved. There's nothing else you have to do. But at that point, as we mature and we grow, we start doing. See, God's concerned about the who, not the do, because the do will follow the who. That sounded like a Dr. Seuss book there for a second. Um, but that, that's, what, that's what makes God so much fun, is he takes care of it for us if we just follow him. See, the word redeem in this passage says it means he bought back our freedom. We lost it in the garden. He paid the price for us so that we could become his children. See, for centuries, Jews had been wondering when their Messiah would come, but God's timing is perfect. So we got to stop questioning God's timing. We too wonder if God will ever respond to our prayers. How many of you guys have ever done that? God, when are you going to answer my prayer? God, when are you going to take care of this for me? God, what are you going to do for this for me? We've turned him into a medicine chest God. That says, fix my problems to make my life easier. What if God wanted to make your life harder to save someone else's life? See, it's not about our comfort. 
I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't comfortable on the cross. So the question we have to answer this morning is, am I willing to wait on God's timing? I said, as we talked about this building this morning, this is not something we've taken lightly. This is not something we jumped on. This is something that has been in the making for a while. But I also want everybody to understand that it is not our goal. A building has never been the goal of this church. The building is a way for us to serve our community and reach people to save them from hell. That's the goal of our church. The mission of our statement of our church is to lead people to an authentic, life-changing encounter with Jesus, not to show up and walk through the door. We want people's lives to be transformed by the same power that transformed your life, that changed who you are. In verse 6 and 7, it says, And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Daddy. Now, I know that's not the right religious way to talk about God, but that's what Abba means. Father. You're no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. There was once a family who had three children of their own. They decided to adopt another child, Sophie. The children grew up together quite well, but being children, occasionally they argued. One day they were picking on Sophie and joked about her adoption. Our mommy and daddy are not your real mommy and daddy. Sophie began to cry and then remembered something her adopted parents had told her. It's true, she said, but your parents didn't choose you. They had to choose. They had no choice, but they chose to have me. They picked me. Do you understand you are picked by God? He chose you. You think you're not worthy? The creator of the universe knows your name and called you by name and chose you. You're not an accident. No matter what our culture, our parents, or anybody else tries to tell us, because I've dealt with a lot of people who have gone through that. Oh, I wasn't a planned pregnancy when I was born, so I was an accident. God don't have no accidents. You are perfect the way you were created. You just got to see yourself the way God created you, as a son and a daughter. From the very beginning, our new position of when we understand that we're his children as an adopted child, we have full legal rights and privileges of an adult. We don't have to wait till some future time to receive God's forgiveness. We don't have to get ourselves right. We don't have to get ourselves cleaned up. We don't have to do anything different than just come to Jesus See, adoption is the highest privilege, honestly, that the Bible offers. Because in Christ and because of Christ, God has taken us into his family and he establishes us as his children and not only his children, but here's where I really get excited as heirs, which means everything God has is ours to be used for his glory, not for us. But the greatest part about being that heir is the closeness and the affection that we get from the Father when we spend time with Him. And what happens as we go closer to God is 
as Christy was talking about, we become more generous. Why? Because we truly believe that God is in control of everything and that when I trust him, he loves me. And so somehow we can live better on 90% than we could on 100%. As I trust God with my finances, I trust God with my time. And I had my Uncle Daryl, who was the one who really led me and Christy to, to our salvation, actually led me to speaking in tongues and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, sitting on my bathroom floor talking on the phone with him. And we're sitting and talking to him, and he had started the thing where he did not only tithe his 10% of money, but he started tithing 10% of 24 hours a day. He says, guess what? 2.4 hour, hours a day, I am going to spend time with God. I'm going to start tithing my time. I'm like, dude, that is, how long are you awake? You know, the whole net versus growth stop process. Well, I'm only actually awake, you know, 16 hours, so kind of hour and a half. That's pretty good, ain't it? Isn't that what we do? Do I tithe off the net or the gross? Well, what do you want God to bless you off of? That's the only question. I'm not getting into that, really. Don't throw anything at me. Um, but if I start taking my time now and I start spending it with God and I start saying, guess what? For me, again, eating the whole eating the frog thought process, when I wake up, you can ask Christy, it's my Bible, it's my coffee, and I sit there and I'm going to read and pray. Some days I may get 15 minutes before I have to run out the door and go eat my frog and go to the gym because I won't if I because I have the motivation right then. But then I pop in worship music or I might sit there for an hour and pray or I might jump in my car and come out here and pray. But take that time and start spending that time with the father, because as you start getting to know your father, you start loving him more. And as you love him more, he he starts revealing more of himself to you and you can go out and start doing things. Because eight through ten says before you Gentiles knew God. You were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? And I love how he finishes it off in this version. He says, you are trying to earn favor with God by coming to church. No, actually, not, it's not what he says. You try to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. See, for them, it was all about the religious festivals. It was all about observing the fest. We do the same thing. I have to make sure when I get up in the morning to read my Bible, it's just not something I need to check off for the day, but that I'm spending time with God to hear from him. Because I could be just like that. I'm observing certain days now because I'm getting up and whoop, check. Devotional done. Oh, Sunday, check. I showed up at church. See, this should just be an outflow. Sunday morning should be an outflow of who you are. It's about getting together with God's family and just praising God and ministering to God and edifying and building each other up and reaching people and taking them from the depths of hell and giving them hope. So what are some obstacles to being known? First one and probably the biggest one today is shame. What if they knew what I struggled with? What if somebody knew I stumbled? What if somebody knew I yelled at my wife? Okay, maybe that's just us pastors that deal with those things. What if they knew I got upset at my job? See, shame is, shame is a great, probably one of the greatest liars out there. Shame will tell you you're never going to be good enough. And Jesus said, I died for you. You're already good enough. So lay, lay, lay your shame down and don't pick it up. 
one I struggled with initially, pride. Now, there are two types of pride. There's the one who thinks they're always right, which my personality can come off as that. And so I've had to be careful with that and grow with that over the years. But there's another pride that people try to use and call it humility. Where they try to come off and say they're never good enough. I don't think I'm prideful. But see, that honestly is a false pride. God doesn't tell you to think of yourself less. You're Because you're not selfless. He says, don't think about yourself as much. Think of yourself less when you're serving others. See, we're not less because we're serving Jesus. We're everything we're called to be because of Jesus. Third obstacle to being known is fear, of course. See, when, when fear is there, there's a vulnerability of being hurt. I, you've heard the story with me and Christy. I had to take the chance of getting hurt again to work on our marriage after everything we went through. But the love I had for her and the love that God had already started to show me outweighed the fear of getting hurt again. See, sometimes we have to overcome fear by taking a step of faith and understand that fear will go away, but it's not going away easy. You may have to fight